0: But uh, we have one more uh, song from you guys later in the service, but as they return to their seats, uh, we're going to turn our hearts to, uh, to God's word and to the message this morning. And uh, we're continuing this morning the sermon series that Pastor, and I, Pastor Harrison and I have been working on, uh, Encountering the Living God. <clears throat> and I was uh, moved, uh, Jerry, by your prayer, this prayer that we might see others from God's perspective. I, it shocks me and surprises me how much might change in our world if we could do that. If we could see other people and even see ourselves the way that God sees us, the way that others, or the, the way that God sees others. I think so often, uh, when we come to worship, when we, when we come to think about our relationship with God, or we wonder about what an encounter with God might look like, how we might see or meet Him, or, or even how God might see uh, or meet us. I think we, I, we think one of two things. Sometimes we think uh, like the picture on the screen behind me. We think we need to sit around and maybe leave an empty chair and just wait and hope and pray that maybe God will show up. The other thing that we do is uh, we maybe think we have to go off to some far away place or maybe we have to do something strange or extraordinary outside of our regular routines and then maybe God will meet with us. But God wants to meet with his people. God wants to meet with you in the everyday stuff of life, in your regular routines. God always finds a way to meet his people in the everyday, in the ordinary. We don't need to go far to find him. We need to cultivate open hearts to respond when he meets us. To pray the kinds of prayers that Jerry led us in this morning. God, help us to see ourselves and others how you see us. It strikes me that many of us, especially those of us in younger generations, want our story, the story of our life, to be about more than just ourselves. Do You want that? Do you want to be part of something that's, just, that's bigger than just yourself? The sermon this morning is three points, which is actually two points, but it's all wrapped up in a story. And so I'm going to tell a few stories this morning, and uh, I'm going to leave it to you to try and pull and and find the truth within these stories. But for those of you who don't like stories and just want it straight, um, here are the three points. The first is, do what you do. Do the things that are part of your regular life. You don't need to just sit and wait and wonder. And likewise, you don't need to go off and do something strange or far or foreign. Just do what you do. God will find you. And when God finds you, there'll be a cross. There'll be a conflict. There'll be a struggle. And you will be called to follow him. So follow him. That's what we're talking about this morning. So if you don't like stories, you can just tune out now. Do what you do, God will find you, follow him. As I said, I'm going to, for those of you who are still listening, I am going to tell those stories. Uh, Stories about, two stories about everyday openness to God. And the two stories I have, one is a story that probably all of you have heard before and one is a story that probably none of you have heard before. So here's the first story and it's very short, blink and you miss it. The Gospel writer Luke tells us in one line, one sentence, the story of this first guy. He's writing about Jesus' crucifixion, and he says, As the soldiers led Jesus away to be crucified, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put a cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. That's it, that's the story. Mark, who uh, also wrote a gospel and good news of Jesus, Mark tells the same story, but gives us even just a little bit more information. He says a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, he was passing by on his way in from the country, and they, the Roman soldiers, forced him to carry the cross. Simon of Cyrene is a man who pictures prominently in the gospel story. Maybe only, it seems to us, because he was walking into Jerusalem at just the right time. For reference, Cyrene, you can see on the map behind me, is in the bottom left there. Cyrene is about 1,500 kilometers away from Jerusalem. It's on the north coast of Africa in what is today Libya. Um, It's on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. The journey from Cyprus, or from Cyrene, excuse me, to Jerusalem was a day. If you took the sea, it took several days, and if you rode or walked over land, it took well over a week. And Simon arrives in Jerusalem from Cyrene just at the right time to be conscripted or forced to carry Jesus' cross. If I'm honest, it doesn't seem like much of a story. Certainly, it happened. And so perhaps just for that reason alone, it's worth including in the Bible. But not everything that happened to Jesus is included in the Bible. John tells us that. He says, if everything that happened to Jesus was written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. So why include this detail? What's more, why include the detail not only that Simon's from Cyrene, but also that Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus? Well, Mark... The other gospel writers are wise and thoughtful people. They're not just including random details in the story or saying random words to try and fill out a page count the way I know some of you students do. They have a plan. They have a purpose. Luke tells us that Simon is from Cyrene because there was a community at that time of many Jews in Cyrene. Who would have known about the connection. And Mark tells us that Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus because Alexander and Rufus were leaders in the early church in the New Testament. Mark's readers would have known who Alexander and Rufus were, even if they didn't know who Simon was. These are not just random details. How do we know this? Well, Paul The Apostle Paul ends his letter to the church in Rome by sending greetings to a big, long list of people. If you flip to the end of the book of Rome, Rome, the book or the letter to the Romans, you'll see about uh, 10 or I think even 15 people that Paul greets. And right in the middle, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me. This is, scholars are quite certain, the same Rufus who's mentioned in Mark. As the son of Simon of Cyrene, which means that Rufus' mother would be Simon's wife. So, what can we learn from all of this, all of these just details, scraps of a story that we have? Well, I said to you in the introduction just do what you're going to do, and God will meet you. Simon of Cyrene had made this long journey to Jerusalem. Whatever his purpose in the city, maybe business, maybe he was there for Passover. Simon met Jesus, and somehow, not through his choice, he was forced to meet Jesus. But somehow, that encounter with Jesus changed him. Simon was literally forced to follow behind Jesus to carry Jesus' cross for uh, from Pilate's or from the edge of the city where Pilate's palace was to where the cross were at Golgotha, the place of the skull, which was only about 600 meters. So a little over half a kilometer and slightly uphill, he had to take this cross. Simon carried Jesus' cross and Luke tells us that he followed right behind Jesus. It's not an accident that Mark and the other gospel writers also tell us that Jesus called all of his disciples to follow right behind him. Jesus had called his disciples at the beginning of the Gospels and told them to follow him right behind him. And they did so for three years. For many hundreds, maybe even thousands of kilometers they walked behind him. And Simon followed Jesus for 600 meters. Maybe if you close your eyes for a moment, you can imagine what it's like to carry a heavy weight up a hill. Some of you love to hike, I know, and others of you like even more to hike with a backpack on. But imagine you're carrying a heavy weight up a hill and you're staring at the back of Jesus in front of you, who's, who's going up the hill in front of you. Perhaps your mind would be full and busy, as it often is on a Sunday morning, about all the plans you have for the day. Maybe you have to uh, go shopping later or you have some business you need to take care of. Maybe you'll stop by a place of worship too, you think to yourself, and you have loved ones who are back at home. For Simon, all of this thinking is interrupted as he's forced to follow behind Jesus and focus on that heavy weight, the only task that is at hand. I expect at that first journey, Simon thought to himself, wondered to himself, who is this Jesus? Why is this happening to him? What did he do to be forced or to be crucified? And then you have to imagine that when he finally made the return journey home, his wife and his two young sons at that point would ask him, how was the trip? And then he has to tell this story all over again. We don't know all of the details of Simon's life after he met Jesus. In fact, we don't know any more of the details of his life. But we read in Romans about the legacy of Simon's life. When Simon met Jesus, the trajectory or the direction of his life changed. Until then, Simon was going about his regular business. He was just doing the things that were normal and regular and part of his life. But after he met Jesus, he began following him first for 600 meters, then somehow on the way home, he began, he continued to follow Jesus. As he talked with his wife and raised his sons, he was still following Jesus. Even when his, old, his son Rufus grew up and moved across the Mediterranean Sea from Cyrene, from Libya, north to Rome in Italy, still there was the legacy of Simon following Jesus. We don't know what happened to Simon after he returned home, but we do know that his wife cared for Paul the way a mother cares for a son. This is yet another example in the Bible of the, what I talked about two weeks ago, how Jesus reorders our families. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, and my sister, and my brother. And Paul says that Rufus' mother She was like a mother to me too. Paul didn't have a brief encounter with Simon or with Simon's family. Paul had a deep and meaningful connection characterized by sharing and giving, by care, by service, by support. You don't accidentally call someone your mother without correcting yourself. They had a lot of history and love together. As I said, this is just another example in Scripture of God shaping a spiritual family, growing his kingdom with with people, with partners from different ethnic groups, from different countries, from different backgrounds. In this case, men and women who are both Africans and uh, Arabs and also Greeks or or, um, Europeans. But my main point this morning is that all of this happens because at just the right time, God brought one man to just the right place so that his life would be changed. Had Simon, or Simon had this 1,500-kilometer journey, had he arrived in Jerusalem just an hour later or an hour earlier, he would have totally missed the processional. Had he only been maybe 10 minutes different, someone else would have been dragged in to carry Jesus' cross. We might think to ourselves that this is just chance. What are the chances? What luck? But Christians don't believe in coincidence. Without God's intervention, without God's planning, Simon's life would have carried on exactly how Simon planned it. But God met him in the midst of his ordinary life. God called him to follow him. And Simon began to follow Jesus. Christians don't believe in coincidence. We believe in God's providence. We believe that God is in charge of this world and that he is working all things for good. Not only Simon's life, not only the lives of people who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago, but also and even things in your life, in my life. God organized and worked that Simon would encounter him. Simon's openness to God when he encountered God led to a transformation in his whole family, his wife and his sons. But also at the the no doubt the city or the area in Libya Cyrene was affected. Even so so much that the apostle Paul was cared for there. Simon's obedience and openness to Jesus even affected the city of Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire when Simon's son Rufus moved there years later. I share all of these details because this is how change and how, how, how change always happens, how movements of the spirit always begin. Movements of the spirit don't tend to begin with somebody standing up front talking into a microphone. Movements of the spirit begin with a thousand little details. When someone gives their life first to God and then to someone else in a real embodied way. And the Spirit continues to move when that gift is passed on to someone else. To another real embodied person. And that person passes on the gift of the Spirit and the love and care and commitment. The honor of the family of God is passed on to a few more and a few more until it swells to thousands and hundreds of thousands, even millions. One minister wrote that whenever we meet God's will, whenever we encounter God, there will always be a cross. This was true for Simon. When Simon encountered Jesus, there was literally a cross on his shoulder and Jesus right in front of him. But it's true for all of us too. When we do what we do and we carry on with our regular lives, and when God meets us, there's always a cross, even if just a crossroads, where we wonder to ourselves, or we have the opportunity to wonder will I continue going the way I have been going? Or will I turn and follow Jesus? One more story, I promise you two. That's a story that I hope you or expect you've heard before. This is a story that uh, is meaningful to me, but someone who's personally meaningful to me. Last fall, uh, I visited a good friend of Kaylee and mine. Uh, His name's Andrew and his wife's name is Gerda. We visited them, I visited them in Spain. And then in February, as many of you know, I returned for Andrew's funeral after he suddenly passed away. So I want to tell just a few details of Andrew's story as well. Like Simon of Cyrene, Andrew met Jesus on a long journey after he left home. Andrew was brought up in Pretoria in South Africa. His dad was actually a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa. Andrew was taught as a child and as a young man that people, like people who were white like him were better than people of other ethnicities simply because of their skin color. And he wasn't just taught that in the city, he was taught that in church. Years later, as Andrew was training to be a lawyer, he began to travel, especially for work. And during his work in other countries, God opened his eyes. Andrew saw that God had created all people equal. Andrew would say it like this, he said, God broke my mind shackles. These trips... Andrew's trips were not especially long, it was just a lawyer and some political business to do and then he would return home. But Andrew's heart was open to God's leading and he began to follow him more fully. Andrew and then later his wife Gerda talked for hours and then actually talked for years. How do we follow Jesus? How do we follow him more fully? They talked about how to give their life to God and how to give their life to others. There were thousands, hundreds of thousands of details. We'll never know. They served over the years, served people from all over. They served all people that they met and learned from them and learned with many diverse people. They helped to send students, young people on mission trips from the U.S. to Spain and South America and from Spain to Africa and to the U.S., all intending that God could open their minds and their eyes as well so that these students, like Andrew, could also, have, could also meet God and have God open their eyes so that they might decide to follow Jesus more fully as well. When I met When I went in February to visit Gerda for Andrew's funeral, I thanked her for how she and Andrew had been like parents to me during the last 10 years or so, our seven years in Colorado, and then the two and more we've already been here. And that, too, is a story with many details that we can't get into today, but it's not an accident, and it's not uh, said lightly either. And now, even after Andrew's death, this ministry that he began, the care for young people, he started, it continues. It continues in Spain and in Colorado. It continues locally and internationally. Other people have picked up Andrew's work and continue to help students open their eyes and their minds to meet God working in the world, to help them decide to follow Jesus more fully. All of this happened because Andrew was just doing what he was doing. But God found him. God showed, him himself, God showed himself to Andrew. And Andrew and Gerda met that cross and they decided to follow Jesus. Funerals remind us of many things. They remind us of the fact that we can't write down in a few words or a few pages the total of who a person is or what they mean to us. I can't tell you all the details of my relationship with Andrew, just just as we can't know all the details of the life of Simon of Cyrene. But we can see the impact of someone's life. We can see the impact of someone who has encountered God and who remained open to God And who followed Jesus more fully, in the days and day in the days and months and years of their lives. We don't always get to know all the details of the story, but we can tell the impact of the story by the legacy or trajectory that it leaves. We know only one small part, a few sentences of the story of Simon, and Simon's carrying the cross. And I know only a little bit more of the story of Andrew's cross, where his will met God's will. Each of you know stories just like that. Each of you know a story of someone whose life is perhaps still happening or maybe their life is over. It's easier, I think, to tell the story of someone whose life is over. Because we can try and pull together all the threads and see how things all wound up. But while we continue to live, it's harder to try and pull things together and see what's most significant or see where we're going to end up. But also, we can usually see better the impact of someone's life, as I said, on the, on the impact of people around them. When the people who they care for and affect the most grow up, when they make choices of their own, we can see how their lives are shaped, how their lives are changed, how their children or those who they care for are blessed and how they develop. The stories of our lives are told not in minutes or in sentences. The stories of our lives are told over decades. But the minutes and the days define in part, at least, what that point or goal or trajectory of our lives and our story will be. I said at the beginning of the sermon that I think many of us want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. If that's you, you just need to do what it is that you're doing. You don't need to sit quietly and wait, do nothing. You don't need to go somewhere far away and do something strange or crazy or odd. Either of those things is just fine. But whatever you are doing, God will meet you. And So while you're doing it, remain open to God. And when God finds you, we believe that God will not just show himself to you once, but that he will continue to reveal himself to you. God will invite you to see higher and further and differently, not just who you are, but who the people around you are. Not just his plan and his heart for you, but his plan and his heart for all his people, especially those that you know. If you really want to work for something bigger than yourself, remain open to God. And when you find him, Even if you're not sure, try to follow, even in a small way. Where your will meets God's will, there will always be a cross. There will always be a challenge, a difficulty, a a source of pain where you have to give up something you've been doing, something you want, something you hope for, in order to follow Jesus. But Jesus will be right there in front of you. He will be leading you forward to the place where he will forgive you and redeem you. Where he will restore you and give you a greater honor, a greater legacy as part of his greater story. As we close this morning, I challenge you not only to remain open to God as you go about doing the things that are a regular part of your life, but to give yourself more fully to God when you meet Him, as you wait for Him and look for Him, as you see Him at work. You may have plans for yourself. All of us do. But God's plans are better. You may have hopes for your children or for your grandchildren, but God's hopes are bigger. You may be good at making connections and finding your way forward but God will connect you with people and with his power that is far greater than anything you can find on your own and you may or dare I say you will be afraid along the way with Simon you may even be mistreated or forced for us for a short time but God always protects and guards and guides those he loves and he will watch over you far better than you can care for yourself. In that hope and expectation, let's come to God in prayer. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus as the one that we can follow. Wherever we walk, whatever we do, we thank you that you give us the example to follow. That you give us Jesus not only as a as a, as a story and a character to follow and to listen and learn from, but that you give you give us Jesus in our in our hearts. That God, you are present with us even today. God, I know it seems to many of us like the kinds of stories that show up in the Bible are so far removed from our regular existence that we can find almost no connection with them. But as we continue on our way, doing the things that we do, going to the places that we go, open our hearts, Lord. Meet us. Meet us in our work, in our school, in our play. Meet us in our rest and on vacation, in times with friends and in time alone. Meet us as we lay down to rest as we get up in the morning. Speak your words of love and also of challenge to us. And as we come to a crossroads when we hear you, God, give us the courage to obey, to know that we are not alone in walking, but as we carry our cross, our challenges, our burdens, that you are right there with us, just a step ahead, showing us the way and guiding us forward. God, keep our eyes on you so that more and more as we draw closer to you, we might see others the way that you see them and see ourselves the way that you see us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our, uh, our sending song is going to be on that Sunday morning. It's a beautiful song uh, originally written by Brian Dirksen, but before that, I want to offer you God's blessing. And so if you're able, uh, just one more time, I'm going to invite you to stand. Uh, remember that after the service, you're invited to, uh, those of you on Zoom are invited to stick around for, um, for some fellowship online. Uh, those of you here can either uh, stick around here for a short presentation or uh, head downstairs for some coffee and fellowship. But as we go, as you go, receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And all God's people say, Amen.